the first thing I'm going to talk about is the spiral of negativity. Um, negative thoughts can be directed towards oneself, such as, I am really not so good at doing this. Um, or um, it can be directed towards others. They're stupid, they're fools, they're whatever. They, it can be directed towards our surroundings, authorities, political systems, society at large, whatever. But there are here some mutual dynamics between what we direct towards ourselves and what we direct towards our surroundings. And that's what I want to try to illustrate with this slide. Living with constant, unreasonable self-depreciation is painful. A way to bypass this burden is, instead of di directing some of the criticism towards yourself, you direct it towards this others. Why? It's simple. That alleviates some of the pain of being the only stupid one. Okay? Of course it can be relieving to find faults with others. Sort of, okay, they're no better than me. And people have been calling it the blame game for a long time. Always finding others to blame. Whether you are a peasant or a president. I have in my lifetime been surprised how many of us repeatedly prefer to alleviate the pain of our own self-criticism by unjustly criticizing others. Obviously, for many, it is far better to feel good about oneself than feeling good about others. And believe me, many relationships, many marriages have been ruined that way. And the consequence of being so critical of others is that they're not going to be especially nice to you back. Which doesn't exactly nurture your self-esteem. So the blame game may be an, an initial relief, but becomes an aggravation of the initial self-devaluation because you rightly get the impression that people don't really like you. And then you're into a spiral. And it's not always so easy to get out of. Okay, let's continue to um, Aka meditation. Occasionally, negative thoughts may also manifest during Aka meditation, which I'm sure you have experienced. And some of you which are well into the meditation psychology know that it is called meta-thoughts. And that concept contains all self-critical thoughts during meditation. It can be devaluating thoughts about your meditation practice. It can be depreciation of the quality of the sound, for example. Or it can be self-critical thoughts about the spontaneous activity. It's too much of it. I'm too restless. It's too boring. It's too everyday-like. It's not interesting whatever. 
or it can be generally more self-abating thoughts, feelings, and attitudes. Okay, but don't be discouraged, all right? Non-directive meditation increases mind wandering more than just resting. That means when our minds wander freely, you meet a lot of other things, which you have already experienced, I'm sure, than just meta thoughts. Um, and non-directive meditation denotes meditation techniques that do not use concentration, do not control the spontaneous activity. And Aki meditation is such a technique, non-directive. And mind wandering is a very integral part of Aki meditation. Mind wandering is also um, called spontaneous thought by brain researchers. And in a way one could say that spontaneous thought is the equivalent of what we call spontaneous activity during Aki meditation. And this mind wandering emerges when the brain is not preoccupied with any special tasks. Okay. And yes, why you shouldn't especially be discouraged is that in general, research shows that up to 73% of the time, the mind tends to wander more towards pleasant or neutral topics. So, meta thoughts don't really um, interfere that much in the spontaneous activity. From time to time, they do. But generally speaking, we tend to think about something which is more pleasant or neutral. Okay, I'm, I'm talking about negative thinking and negative thoughts. And some of you might wonder, what about negative emotions? Um, emotions are also involved in mind wandering. Emotional processing takes place while our minds wander. That's very interesting. Um, and there's neurobiologically no clear-cut distinction between emotional processing and thinking. Uh, the whole interdependency between cognition and emotions is such a vast topic. I, I, I will just leave it at that. But there is an interdependency and that's, I guess, all you need to know now. Another obvious question is, if self-critical thoughts are so unpleasant, even painful at times, why are they so prevalent? Why do so many people have them? And why are they so difficult to get rid of? I'll bring in some um, um, possible explanations for this. As a child psychologist, I do believe I can say with um, quite a certain amount of evidence that most likely the core of self-criticism was established very early in life. That's also maybe a reason why they're so difficult to change. Once upon a time, we were the smallest in the family, the most helpless, the most ignorant. 
totally dependent on others. And the others were always bigger, stronger, and wiser than we were. And those years are the most formative in our lives. We are the most vulnerable, the most susceptible to our surroundings at this time. Although we consciously have no recall of those first years in our life, most of us. And the core of our self-images and our later self-esteem was established. And meta-thoughts are aspects of those self-images. And how did we get them? Okay, they were there early on in life. One of the main um, reasons is that the lack of empathy from important adults early in life is internalized and becomes our self-criticism when our parents didn't have time for us we thought we were not important when our parents didn't notice when we did something we were proud of we tend maybe to think that we had no reason to be proud and so forth and so on so these aspects of parenting is internalized and becomes a feeling am i worth being loved do people care about me? Do they try to understand me? Do they help me when I need it? Do they see at all when I need something? Okay, and no one has um, uh, perfect parents, neither the ones we had, nor the ones we are or will become. Um, so every one of us has some aspects of um, of meta thoughts and um, the problem is that they are imperfections as parents they leave traces in the self of a small child i will get back to how our meditation can be moderated because they can I'm just now going to state it, that meta-thoughts are difficult to get rid of once and for all, but they are possible to moderate. And I'll get back to it in a second before that. But before that, I'm going to just try to say something uplifting, because this was a little heavy, okay? Um, there are some positive thoughts one can have about also negative thinking. Um, think of creativity, divergent thinking, alternative thinking. The association between Akim meditation and creativity hasn't been um, researched, but there's lots of research that has been done between creativity and mind-wandering in general in several research studies. Letting the mind wander as we do during Aki meditation allows for a broader range of thoughts that our everyday thinking restricts. Spontaneous thinking emerges. The Canadian researcher Kieran Fox, 
who has done solid and innovative research on spontaneous thinking with meditators. In his book, The Oxford Handbook of Spontaneous Thought, he states, and I quote, spontaneous thought include our daytime fantasies and mind wandering, the flashes of insight and inspiration familiar to the artist, to the scientist, to the inventor. Our capacity for spontaneity, originality, and creativity defines us as a species and as individuals. Spontaneous forms of thought enable us to transcend not only the here and now of our perceptual experience, but also the bonds of our deliberately controlled and goal-directed everyday thinking. They allow the space for us to be other than who we are and for our minds to think beyond the limitations of our current viewpoints and beliefs. That was Kieran Fox. And yes, please, we would like that. But what has this spontaneous thinking got to do with creativity and negative thoughts? I propose that there wouldn't be much creativity without the negativity. Huh? You might think. But think again. Where would art be? Our literature? Our theaters? If we should censor all negative thoughts, all pain? If we should not allow that? If all we would allow is just positive things? Awfully boring, if you ask me just looking at the sunny side all the time, as if we lived in North Korea. Our spontaneous activity also contains worried thoughts, unhappy thoughts, things that distress us. And if we try to manipulate the spontaneous flow during meditation, or even try to observe it with a conscious mind, as we do a lot in um, some meditation techniques, then we lose some of the spontaneity in that flow. And if we try to make a selection and try to blacklist the thoughts that we don't want, we also lose the flow and with it the good ideas, the wise reflections, the new thoughts and the afterthoughts of everyday episodes that help us digest impressions of the day and process emotions. Yes, negative thinking is painful and challenging and can be harmful. But if we also can tolerate it, it also makes us appreciate more the good things around that we have. It can make us psychologically more mature and it does make us more empathic with others when they are down. When it comes to the spontaneous activity during Aki meditation, we cannot have the good without accepting a tiny portion of the bad. And that is what life is about, isn't it? When adversity comes along, which it always will, it also sparks 
some existential reflection. What is the meaning of this? Or why is life so unfair? Or how can I go on? What shall I make of this? How can I live my life differently? If it should be of any comfort, people you meet who have not experienced any adversity and tolerated the pain of it are usually not very interesting. So now we have promoted <laughs> negative thinking. There still is a problem here. What about rumination? Rumination is repetitive negative thoughts. They tend to monopolize the mind, leaving no space for anything else. It just re repeats itself negative negativity on all levels. It's almost like a closed labyrinth. Once you get in, it's difficult to find your way out. And how can Aki meditation? Effortless, relaxing technique do anything about negative thinking and rumination. What elements of Aki meditation can affect such a labyrinth where the walls have hardened over the years? Okay, let's try to answer that. The first circle here visualizes content of our conscious mind when we are ruminating or repeatedly absorbed in negative thinking during our meditation, okay? This is sort of our conscious mind, this circle. And notice the red line around this illustrate how closed such thinking often it is. And because it's closed, it sort of maintains itself. And the more negative thoughts we get, the more miserable we feel, and then we think even more negatively. Okay, so what happens? We sit there and we sit down to meditate, okay? And the light and easy repetition of the meditation sound brings in neutrality to the closed area in the mind where the negative thoughts arrive. In this sense, the repetition of the sound is a soft corrective to the negative thinking. And mark my words, without neither obvious nor subtle suppression of the negative thoughts. During meditation, don't try to direct your thoughts. That's the last thing we should do. We let the thoughts come, no matter how unwanted they might be. We let them come, we let them be, or we let them go without our interference. Hands off. And the light and easy repetition of the sound is our instrument. We play it. We listen to the sound when we are playing. And the very neutrality of its sound, of the sound makes it easier to establish and maintain a 
mental attitude of freedom, of openness, the free mental attitude. So that is an effect of the neutral repetition of the sound. When you sit down to meditate, you are stressed and you might feel that you do not have any free mental attitude whatsoever. So don't worry about it. Just repeat the sound without any strain and the free mental attitude will come along. And this attitude of openness and freedom helps us adjust the repetition of the sound towards less effort. So there's an interdependence between the two, the neutral sound and the free mental attitude. You need the neutrality of the sound to obtain the free attitude and the repetition of the sound without any free mental attitude is more or less worthless. But the sound repetition and the open attitude also affect other things that are going on in our minds, namely the spontaneous activity. This free mental attitude sets, what could we say, it's, it's color on the spontaneous activity. Wow, look what happened. It doesn't really change the content of the thoughts. They're still there, the negative thoughts. But it changes more the way we are thinking the thoughts we have. The angry or sad thoughts are still there, but are somewhat less intense. The shading is not so dark. And the labyrinth opens up. This is depicted here where the red line is now dotted, permeable. And when the negative thoughts are not so um, fenced in anymore, peripheral thoughts can come. The ones that lie on the outskirts of our awareness. The ones that are not written in capital letters and fly in our face, but just whisper softly in our ear. These are divergent thoughts, alternative thoughts to the negative ones. And little by little, we become more aware of them. What could such a thought be? Something like, okay, I might have more or less a constant feeling of inferiority. <laughs> I'm at least used to it. But does that have to stop me from doing what I really want with my life? Not staging an inner war, not fighting the negative thinking, but doing the opposite, accepting it, letting it be, and opening the mind for divergent thinking is very different from mainstream psychology. The current, how the current trend in psychology handles negative thoughts. Let's take a look at that. To simplify it, Basically, negative thoughts should be eliminated. Like I said initially, when you 
Google negative thoughts. You get the idea. Um, and this shall be done by suppression. And that shall be replaced with positive thoughts. Okay, so what is so wrong with suppressing something which is negative and try to replace it with something positive? Well, it's because you cannot get rid of the negative thoughts. Um, there is a kind, I'm going to talk a little more about it, but there's a kind of trend about positive thinking. You, you know, negative thoughts are not allowed. And there's, it's, it's the solution is sort of censorship and suppression. That's what you're using on yourself. We live in a democracy, most of us, hopefully, but we're not very democratic about what's going on inside of us. There we use censorship and suppression of things that we don't want. Now, what is so wrong with it? There is no delete button. You, as I said, you cannot delete the negative thoughts. That's an illusion. As soon as you try to suppress something, like, let's say, I don't want to think about my ex. Then your mind has to monitor itself all the time, consciously or unconsciously, to check if there are any unwanted thoughts about the X around. This is the first step of suppression and is called the monitoring process of suppression. And the next step is called the rebound effect or post-suppression rebound. The more you try to push a thought into oblivion, the monitoring process will bring it back again. It becomes a constant reminder of what you do not want to think about. If you don't want to think about something, you have to be a vigilant doorkeeper, a guard, to be on the lookout for the unwanted ex, so he or she does not get through your door. And another point is that if you want to use suppression, be aware that it will drain your energy. People who use a lot of suppression tend to get easily fatigued. And the next thing about, you know, um, mainstream psychology, I, I would like to challenge is a mega trend of our time namely, as we've already mentioned, this positive thinking. And many self-help books talk about what you should do. You should boost yourself, talk to the mirror, tell the person you see that he's a really good guy, he's going to be very successful and so on. But doing that can also backfire. It doesn't really work. 
or it works for a few people, for those who don't need it. So research show that self-affirmative talk in front of the mirror or not works for those who already have lots of self-confidence, but is a peril for those who don't. Why? Because you don't accept them, because you don't believe them. Self-boosting statements that just fall way outside your own latitude of acceptance, you, you, you resist them. And that leads to that one holds one's original position of low self-esteem even more strongly. One of an author, um, Barbara Ehrenreich, um, says positive thinking can also be unhealthy. One of the books she has written called Smile or Die about 10 years ago, where she also was very clear about it. She's a, um, a cellular, cellular immunologist, oh, forget it. Um, she's, she's an academic, uh, but she's writing more uh, popular books, more in a, uh, as a journalist almost. But she's very clear about one thing, no scientific evidence whatsoever uh, has shown that the immune system, our immune system is boosted by a positive attitude, which very many people do assert. And um, she was specifically very preoccupied with this because she got cancer and everybody told her that, um, you have to think positively. Um, although she all the time was feeling sad and worried. But everything she read about being a cancer patient said, you know, that, that you, you must be positive. And she finally got so fed up with this, <laughs> at least she says so, that she, she thought, okay, the next book I'm gonna write is how to get through cancer being grumpy. Okay, the next point, why positive thinking can be unfounded. Think of children. To try to make children suppress unwanted thoughts or emotions is not good upbringing. If they are sad, as a good parent, we acknowledge their sadness and we comfort them. If they are angry, we acknowledge they're angry we help them understand it, why they are angry. And we don't tell them that they are a bad boy or girl for being angry. But what we do is we do help them to regulate, not the emotion anger, but the behavior, the angry behavior. And we help them and show them what is the appropriate way of expressing emotions. We don't try to control what they are feeling inside. So why do we do that with ourselves? Why are we lousy parents to ourselves? And my last point here is, one can be profoundly unhappy, of course, for very good reasons be it illness, be it separations, be it heartache, 
death pandemics. They're beyond our control often. And to respond with a smile would not be showing emotional intelligence. Okay, enough of these psychological trends. Let's get back to Aki meditation. Early in this talk, the elements of practicing Aki meditation were presented. Um, and now we'll look more, not of, of the elements um, which we use when we practice meditating, but how the um, effects of Aki meditation also can modify our, some of our negative thinking. Let's take a quick look at them. The four effects which I gave, I chose the words relaxation, relief, realization, repair. They all started with R. I could have chosen other words too. Let's just take a quick look at them. Relaxation is the best documented result of Aka meditation. Remember, negative thinking is stressful. Annoyance towards self or others is accompanied by tension. And relaxation in and of itself can mitigate that negativity. Like if you're angry and can still manage to calm down physically, that will also affect the emotion of anger. And it comes a relief. The relief when stress hormones are dis decreased. And this relief supports a more free and open mind, which also, which we have already shown, may decrease the intensity of the negative thinking. This again allows mind wandering, which again increases relaxation. And then we have the realization. Lots of the spontaneous activity going on in our mind during meditation, we are not aware of. Research shows that the content of mind wandering is more or less below the level of our awareness. And that surely goes for meta thoughts as well. They are not always a clear, crisp thought like, oh, what a fool am I? But they can also manifest as a more vague, general discontentment. By the simple act of repeating a neutral sound, many sub-threshold, under the threshold of awareness, topics may arise, also meta-thoughts, and one can start to realize what is going on. We can easier recognize them for what they are during Akim meditation. In this picture taken by an um, instructor named, Norwegian instructor named Omen Ergoi, you can see the traces of time on the bark of a tree trunk. 
in the girl's face. I thought of those traces as self-critical meta-thoughts formed long ago. And maybe you can't see them in our face, but they do impinge upon us, not only our actions in life, but they also distort our perceptions of our actions. And in the, during meditation, we can identify that easier than in everyday life. Example, we may repeat the sound in our usual way and a meta-thought comes along and says, the repetition isn't good enough. And we erroneously start doubting what we are doing. And the meta-thought continues, hey, you better listen. I am the authority here. And so we start correcting the sound with more effort or with a too narrow focused attention or we struggle to make the sound clearer or whatever. Whereas the initial repetition was just fine. And don't think that such meta-thoughts are present only when we meditate. Self-evaluations, often too critical, chaperone our actions in many life domains. But they're difficult to detect sometimes because we are so identified with this self-criticism that we simply think this is me, this is who I am, a fool. None of the effects of Aki meditation are more liberating than the realization that the meta-thoughts are not our fate, not the ultimate judgment of who we really are, or how inadequate our sound repetition is. They are merely thoughts, just like any other trivial thought about what to cook to dinner for dinner, or to remember to buy window wipers for the car. And during Aki meditation, meta-thoughts should be treated like any other everyday thought. And the last uh, effect of Aki meditation, as I have called repair, we could call it different things, but okay. And one element of this is the freedom of thought. Opening up for the spontaneous activity during meditation opens up an inner world. We gain access to more than we usually do. Often it is only in silence that the whisper of the peripheral thoughts can be heard. The relaxing effect of letting the mind wander is easy to overlook. But think of our best moments on vacation, having a close talk with an old friend, being in your favorite landscape. What characterizes those moments? Our minds wander freely. Thoughts come easily. But on the other side, no matter how constricting or controlling others or our surroundings might be, we can still be a free person inside. Or maybe not. In some totalitarian states, they own, not only arrest you for what you've done or what you said, but also for the negative thoughts that you might have against the regime. 
almost 200 years ago, the famous Danish existential philosopher Søren Kierkegaard said, people demand freedom of speech as a compensation for the, the freedom of thought, which they seldom use. And the same, maybe, goes for today. Okay, another aspect of this repairing function is the deep-rooted self-acceptance. And in the book, The Power of the Wandering Mind, the editor writes that um, this deep-rooted self-acceptance is the prerequisite for obtaining the many psychological and physical effects of Akka meditation. And another quite interesting and very solid research study, which goes in the same direction, is that a, a very um, competent, very solid research group found that non-avoidance of negative thoughts meant the most for deep relaxation during meditation, measured with physical parameters. What does this say? This is noteworthy. Worthy. The more we accept negative thoughts during meditation, the more we are able to reduce our stress levels measured on the telomeres, which are caps on our chromosomes in our DNA, and which are very sensitive to stress. So non-avoidance of negative thoughts meant the most. The more we relax, or no, the other way around, the more we accept our negative thoughts, the more we relax. Okay, these were the four R's of how effects of Aki meditation also can moderate our negative thinking. To summarize, I will just say, don't waste your energy on trying to stop the wind or stop the negative thoughts, even if the wind is gushy and cold as it often is in Norway. Instead, let the thoughts fill your sails while keeping a hand on the ropes and before you know it, you're moving forwards. Thank you for your attention. <laughs>